I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers. Thank you for joining us on the Awaken My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Roxanne Francis. She is a mother, a wife, a registered social worker, and psychotherapist with more than 12 years experience in the mental health field. And as the owner of Francis Psychotherapy and Consulting Services, she supports the leadership teams at forward-thinking corporations and organizations to care for the mental health of their staff. Roxanne also helps therapists build a private practice. So please welcome to the show, Roxanne Francis. Thank you so much for having me, Makini. This is awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story and your wisdom with us. Well, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always say like, you know, every woman who comes on here when they share their story, there's always a part of their story that I can, you know, resonate with. And I feel like anytime we hear someone's story, there's something in there that If it doesn't resonate with us directly, you know, we know someone that it can help. So it's always a form of wisdom because it's your lived experience. So regardless of how we see it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's always. Yeah, yeah. I I don't disagree. I often say that the things that you've gone through are not just for you, right? So we speak them afterwards and they usually blesses somebody. So, you know, we share them with other people and, um, and it blesses somebody usually. Absolutely. I 1000% agree. I I say often on the show, like our story may be about us, but it isn't only for us. So we're, we're definitely aligned there. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Okay. So as an icebreaker question, Mm -hmm. I like to start the show with asking, you know, a little bit more about where you're coming from before we get Mm -hmm. to where you are presently. Mm -hmm. And I ask what you want to, what you wanted to be when you were a little girl before society and you know our environment and our families hindered or you know unintentionally put um, Mm -hmm. you know those blockers on us to limit us so I'd love to know Roxanne like what did you want to be when you're a little girl when I was a little girl I wanted to be a pediatrician and Mm. I wanted to be a pediatrician because I really struggled with asthma quite a bit um, when I was small and I was always in the pediatrician's office. And I like to think that I had the best pediatrician in the world and he Mm. was wonderful and patient and sweet and kind. And I just always left feeling really important. And even though I was a little sick, I always left feeling on top of the world. And I always felt like I want to help somebody feel like that. Mm. And so 
you know, regardless of what job he was doing, I just know that I left feeling better um, and not just physically. Right. And so that's kind of that's the impression that I wanted to make on people. And it just so happened that he was a pediatrician. And I was like, well, that's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So you're still, you know, technically in the medical field. So how did you go from wanting to be a pediatrician to becoming a registered uh, social worker and psychotherapist? Like share your story, your journey of how you got to where you are presently. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. And so I left there when I was 19 and all throughout school, I really loved and enjoyed the sciences. And then um, I started university there. My goal was to get an undergrad in biochemistry, and then I was going to apply to med school. But then chemistry and I, university chemistry and I didn't quite cut out very well. <laughs> and then I ended up actually in my second year of school, I ended up um, migrating to Canada with my mom. And in the process of trying to sort of settle my life down trying to figure out where we are and you know sort out school and all of that stuff I began to realize that I didn't really want to get into the medical field actually what happened was on my first trip back to Jamaica I began to notice the inequity between Mm -hmm. living here Mm -hmm. and living there and for most people when they think of Jamaica they think of sand sun and surf right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know how much fun you can have and it's beautiful. And and while all of that is true, there is no social safety net in Jamaica. So if there is a very small sort of middle class and you can very easily slide into, into poverty. And so what I didn't recognize when I was living there was that poverty is always in the background, mm-hmm. right? And it's like the fish doesn't notice that, that it's in water. When you're there, when you're immersed in it, when it's every day, you don't really, it's just a part of life. Right. But then I moved here and that just didn't seem to exist as much. There's no welfare or social insurance in Jamaica. And so when I would go back after being here, that would just kind of hit me in the face. And I thought that really intrigued me into wanting to get into social work. Mm-hmm. So I decided when I was going to go back to school that that's actually what I wanted to study. And as I was studying social work, I began to realize that what I really love, while I'm I'm really connected to the pieces of social justice and helping people walk through and get to the next level, I began to realize that what I really enjoyed was connecting with people on an emotional level mm-hmm. and helping them navigate the mental health piece and figuring out relationships And um, as I did that work, I mean, well, fast forward a few years, but I began to realize that I wanted to also work with organizations as a result of my experience in an organization. But yeah, it was probably just in doing the, the education piece of social work that began to realize that what I really wanted to lean towards was more of the psychotherapy piece. Wow. You know, I, I always love listening to, you know, the evolution of how a woman got to where she is today. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the pieces or the places that you were able to pivot or, you know, the self-awareness or, you know, whether it be, you know, a pain in your life that forced you to walk the path that you're walking. So mm-hmm. I I always just get excited when you when you when women talk about their journey. So when you said that, you know, it was the emotional level mm-hmm. that uh, made you want to get into it. Like tell some of the listeners some of the I guess areas that you cover. 
with that? Yeah, so I help people with relationships, with their mental health. You know, when I started fresh out of school, I was working in children's mental health. So parents who were recognizing that they were living with postpartum depression or uh, children who were acting out at school and they weren't sure about the parenting piece. And so I would help parents with that. So I also do a lot of parenting work with people. I help kids navigate their anxiety and depression. I help adults who are walking through things like different personality disorders, borderline bipolar disorder, what it's like to navigate this world with a mental health label. Lots of people go through a lot of trauma. And so you also have to look at it from a trauma-informed perspective. A lot of people feel like, what's wrong with me? I'm broken. I can't hold a relationship. Why is it that I don't have any friends? Things like that. And when we peel back the layers, we recognize that a lot of it stems from trauma, some of the trauma from childhood, some of the trauma from early adulthood. And we slap on a Band-Aid and we just keep going because that's what the world expects of us. Mm -hmm. But when you're broken on the inside, it's going to leak out in some way, shape or form. And Mm -hmm. so I really just enjoy connecting with people. Sometimes when people call for therapy, they'll say things like, what perspective do you work from when you work with your clients? Because, you know, when you're looking for a therapist, I encourage you to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. And I often say that I work from a person-centered lens. So I see the person first before I see the problem. Right. Because if you're not connecting with someone on a relationship level, then they're not going to want to tell you about their worries, about their anxieties, about the things that cause them depression, right? Yeah. They're just going to feel like they're talking to like a glass wall. And in terms of the therapy space, 70 to 80% of the healing that someone goes through actually happens because of the connection. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am. That's kind of what I do and why I love what I do. I, well, you know, I love what you do before we even started recording. I was saying to you, like, I feel like I need to go to school to be a psychotherapist because right now my obsession was studying, you know, how to help people to heal from, from trauma and relationships Mm -hmm. and childhood wounds. Like, I feel like I don't want to use the word obsessed, but I feel like I'm in that space right now. We're studying that and being able to help people from, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important what you said about, you know, connecting with the person first and Mm -hmm. then being comfortable with that relationship because I'm super pro therapy. I tell everybody they need therapy. It's (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, at first some people may be offended, but it's like, no, no, no. So I, I had a, a previous guest who she broke it down where she's like, you know, if you look at taking your car in for an oil change, therapy is like that, right? Exactly. So it doesn't have to be anything wrong with you. It's going in for that continued uh, maintenance. Maintenance. So yeah. yes, I'm definitely pro therapy. And there are many people that I've suggested that they get therapy. And sometimes their first response is, well, you know, I don't know how I'll feel talking to a complete stranger about my problems mm-hmm. or, you know, it's always it never has to do with them actually finding a solution. It, you know, they're looking at, in my opinion, like almost excuses why mm. they can't do it or shouldn't right. do it. Right. So that p- piece where you say you connect to the person first, mm-hmm. I think that is so important. People are looking for connection, especially because they're talking to a total stranger. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they're going to make some headway, they're going to have to start to unpack the stuff that nobody wants to look at unpack the stuff that they've hidden for years, unpack the stuff that their spouse doesn't even know, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are not meeting them on, talking to them on a personal level, on a relational level, then you've lost a client. Mm -hmm. I've recommended to a lot of people to interview different therapists to find the one that's the best fit for them. Yep, totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, you're going to spend your money. You need to find someone that you connect with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So you left your full-time job and went into private practice at a oh, time yes. that seemed really uncertain. Tell us <laughs> that story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I was working for a community organization and there were, you know, the department was a department of, of therapists and I, I enjoyed my colleagues. I enjoyed working with my clients, but I was shifted to, I guess, a segment of the population where uh, people came in with high trauma. So all my, almost all my caseload was trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that was starting to take a toll. It was also a time in my life where my kids were really little. And because the organization wanted to serve everyone in the, across the population, they wanted to ensure that people who worked a nine to five had opportunity to access services after work. And so there were a couple of days a week where you had to work from one in the afternoon till nine at night. And so what that would mean was that I would have to, there, there were times throughout my time working there where I would have to leave work during my supper hour, go get the kids from daycare, uh, bring them home, have a sitter come in because my mm-hmm. husband hadn't gotten off the go train yet, and then leave them and head into work. And as I'm leaving, they're screaming because mommy isn't here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it, it started to tear at my heart that my kids needed me at home. And I was going to work to take care of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and that, Mom guilt. that was, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was how I, I, I felt it. Right. Whether or not that was the truth of it, that is how I felt it. And that was how I carried it. I also was going through a time where fast forward, maybe a year from there, um, my husband had lost, he was at a job and he had lost his job at that time. And he was looking for work and you know, I didn't have to rush home and grab kids anymore because he was there. But my kids would also say things like, let's say I had to work late on a Thursday. They would say, is it Thursday this, you know, in the morning when I'd get them ready? And I would say yes. And then they would start crying mm-hmm. because they know that they would come home. They would do dinner, bath and bedtime without mommy. Mm-hmm. And I was also at a, it was also a time where I was feeling really burnt out. Um, I was seeing all these trauma clients. And I remember specifically, I always tell the story that there was this one client, a, a teenager that I was working with and they came in one, I think it was a Friday and they were feeling fairly suicidal, right? Trigger warning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were contemplating end of life. And so I had gotten them to a place where they were kind of stable and we made an appointment for them on Monday morning for them to come and see me. So now they have to make sure that they make it through the weekend. So, of course, all, I go home and all weekend I'm thinking about this person. And at the time, one of my boys wasn't feeling very well. And on Sunday, I knew that I should probably, you know, keep him home. But then I thought, I think my husband was going for an interview that Monday. And I thought, well, you know, he has an interview. I have to, I have to go to work because I need to make sure that this person is okay. Mm-hmm. So I, what do I do? I give my kid Tylenol and I take them off to where, (laughs) take the Mm -hmm. kids off to where they need to go because I need to go and, you know, save the world, right? Mm -hmm. I get to the office and settle in at my computer only for the receptionist to call me and say, you know, they called that morning, the client called and said that they couldn't make it and they rescheduled for later in the week. And I sat at my desk and the weight of carrying the um, worry for mm-hmm. this young person all weekend, just I just started crying. 
at my desk, right? And to know that I could have stayed home with my kid, I, you know, I could have called in a sick day or whatever it is, and mm-hmm. but I didn't because I was so caught up with making sure that this person was okay. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward a couple weeks later, one of my colleagues, such an amazing woman, I was at my desk and starting to feel burnt out by all of the above. And she was stepping out for lunch and she walked past my office and she just poked her head in the door and she said, hey. And I looked up and she kind of just turned her head to the side the way that therapists do. (laughs) And she looked at me with kindness and compassion and said, how are you doing? And I just completely fell apart. Mm. And she came into the office. She closed the door. She sat down. She held my hand. She goes, what's going on? And I said, "I, I don't know. I just... I can't, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she said, Roxanne, what do we always tell our clients? Why don't you go to your doctor and ask her to write you a couple weeks off from work if you need to just kind of think and take some time away from work? So I did just that. I spoke to my doctor. She's amazing. I got some time off from work and I actually ended up taking two different stress leaves from work before I decided that I needed to leave. And at the time that I decided to ne- I needed to leave, I was really worried because in that moment, my husband was out of work and I figured, well, I can't leave because someone needs to have the stable job with the pension, with the benefits, because uh, his job is more contract based. Mm-hmm. And I just thought there's no way I can go to him and say, well, sorry, I'm having a stressful time. I'm quitting my job. I thought there's no way that that's going to fly. And he and I are pretty close, but I just figured there's no way I can come to him with this, right? And so that was on my mind. And what started to happen was every time someone outside of work would ask me about work, I would start to cry. And Mm -hmm. so I remember one Sunday evening, I just went to him and I said, listen, I'm scared more than anything else. I don't know what else to do. You know that this job is driving me into the ground. And I feel like I just cannot do this. At, by, at, by this juncture, I had gone to, I was contemplating leaving for a while. I'd gone to them and asked them for a leave of absence. That was denied. I had gone to them and asked them if I could work part-time. That was denied. Wow. I'd asked them if I could have a more flexible schedule. That was denied because there's no way you, at the time they were, they were like, there's no way you could do this from home. Meanwhile, mm, yeah. academic, everybody's working from home. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Um, and so I spoke to my husband and he's like, you know what? We're both scared, but you have a skill that if push comes to shove, you can pick up a social work job at any other location. And, um, you know, why not? And so actually what had happened about six months prior is that a friend of mine that I went to school with, her sister was opening up a private practice location and she needed someone to work with kids. And so I was going there on weekends, every other weekend to see a couple of clients. So I had already low keyed behind the scenes. I had registered a business. I had mm-hmm. like, you know, all the little things, but it, I didn't really think of it as something that was going to flesh itself out. This was just a little thing to help somebody out. Right. But then I decided that if I'm going to leave that, then I need to, I need to build this out. And so what I ended up doing was I, I gave them, I, with my husband's, we, we talked about it and with my hands shaking like crazy, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote my letter of resignation. And I have to tell you, it felt so empowering having that thing in. 
Mm-hmm. It just felt like this thing that is driving me into the ground, I'm walking away from it. And, you know, there is a woman that I had worked with a long time ago. She was a manager when I had just left uh, school and got my first job. She was one of my first managers. And her and I had kept in touch and she was kind of a mentor. And I was talking to her about whether or not I should leave this job and maybe I should stay because of this or that. And I felt so conflicted and so confused. And I'm like, I don't, what should I do? And she's like, Roxanne, I can't tell you what you should do. But I have to tell you that everybody has this inner compass. Mm-hmm. And if you really listen to it, if you really pay attention to it, it will tell you what it is that you need. The answer is, I mean, it sounds very hallmark, yeah. but she's like, the answer is already inside of you. You just need to turn it up and listen. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so I did that. And I, I, I left the job and I started seeing more clients. And I was doing um, private practice with my friend who's who had opened up that office. And then after a while, COVID came around and we had to, I had to bring my practice home. Half of the clients said, you know, I'm just going to wait until this thing blows over. <laughs> I'm not crazy about, you know, online. And I started to panic. <laughs> like, what mm-hmm. am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband who was working by this point. He said, don't worry. I have a feeling that this thing is going to last a lot longer than people are suspecting and they're all going to come back. Right. And he was right. <laughs> wow. So, you know, here I am. And one of the things that I am really passionate about now is companies taking care or paying attention to their staff's mental health so that the front door doesn't become a revolving door. Right. Because what happened is that when I handed in my letter of resignation, a lot of people said to me, a lot of my colleagues, you know, some of them said, I totally get it. And others of them said, why would you leave? Look at this job. You know, it's, it's, you have this benefits, you have these, this pension, you have this and that and the other. And I started to explain what it was like. And a lot of my colleagues who were parents, they mm-hmm. totally got it. And within right. four months of me leaving, at least five more colleagues have left. Wow. Right. Because everybody knew what the environment was like, but nobody wanted to speak to it. Nobody wanted right. to say this is untenable. This, this isn't, this isn't conducive to, uh, to family life, to mm-hmm. having a social life, to, you yeah. know, to just being healthy, right. Whole and healthy. And I have to say that I'm really glad that I left and I haven't looked back. Look at that. See, sometimes it just takes one person to lead by example for other yeah. people who are feeling that inside, you yeah. know, to feel empowered to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes we we look at leadership in different ways, but you just owning your truth and doing what you need to do, what is, you know, what's best for you and your family mm-hmm. empowered other people to do the same thing. Yeah, I just I had to actually the other the other night I was um tidying up my bedroom and on my bedside table, I found a little card, you know, those like, like blank greeting cards that might have like a cute kitten on the front, but it's blank on the inside. Yes. Um, one night I came home from work and there was a little card and it was on, like, we have a little table that's close to the front door and the envelope had this little kid scratch and it said to mommy. And it, at the time he was about six years old and I opened it up and it was for my six year old. And he wow. said, it said, dear mommy, he was asleep by the time. He said, dear mommy, I hope you had a good day. I'm sorry you weren't home when I came home from school. I'll give you a hug in the morning or something like that. And I'll tell you about how my day went today. 
And that thing broke me, right? Mm -hmm. And what I realize now in hindsight, it's so funny. I tell people all the time that our emotions are like a thermostat. They tell you, they give you information about what's going on inside. Mm -hmm. And what I was struggling with all the time at work is that I have a really strong value around my family and that value or those boundaries were being crossed Mm -hmm. with you must stay late. There is no uh, flexibility. No, you can't take the time off to go to the parent teacher meeting. Like those things were really chipping away at me. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a bit of a background. So my husband and I were married for nine years before we decided to have children because I had, we, first of all, he was settling in the country (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that takes a little while. And then by the time he settled, I decided to go back to school for a few years. And we decided that we didn't want to, I didn't want to be a broke student with baby. (laughs) No shame (laughs) to anyone who's (laughs) a student with baby, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to we wanted to have a little bit more of a a footing, right? Mm Because we don't come from families with big means and we wanted to sort of establish ourselves a little bit more. And um, so, and and during that time of waiting to have children, I desperately wanted children, right? And it Mm -hmm. it almost became like a couple times, it became a little bit of a bone of contention between the both of us because I desperately wanted to have children and he desperately wanted to wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um he was like I don't want to be you know counting pennies to go buy diapers I'm like there's nothing wrong with that anyway, anyway. <laughs> so we waited to have these children and then also they weren't easily I shouldn't well not not that they weren't easy to come by but both of my boys are rainbow babies so we got pregnant mm. we had a miscarriage then we had a baby then we got pregnant we had a miscarriage and then we had a baby right. and so there's a lot of emotion and history of a little bit of a heart of a little bit of heartache Mm -hmm. and so I would move heaven and earth for those boys and so I felt like those boundaries of me wanting to mother them in the way that I want to mother them I felt like that was being crossed Mm -hmm. and I know we can't be with our children 24 7 and maybe I am making a bigger deal of it than it actually is for other people but for me it was a huge deal Mm-hmm. I wanted to be with them. I wanted to sit with them at dinner time. I wanted to tickle them. I wanted to bath them. You know, my husband's a really great partner and he's in it with me, but I just felt like I was being pulled away. And so, you know, when I got that, um, that little note from my boy, I was just like, man, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. And so even now when I'm working from home, they come bounding through the door at 3.15 from school And, you know, I can hear my partner saying to them, you know, be quiet, mommy's on a call or, you know, (laughs) something like that. Um, I smile on the inside because Mm -hmm. I'm home when they get home from school, right? And when I'm done my call, I I go into the kitchen with them and we have a snack together. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And and they they talk to me about what's happened at school and they don't have to wait until next morning. Right. Right? Yeah, I'm going on and on. I didn't even remember the question you asked me. It's all good. <laughs> okay, so what what advice would you give to a woman that's listening right now that is contemplating leaving her full-time job to pursue her passion? I would say believe in yourself, get advice because it's all well and good for me to say, you know, I quit my job and now I'm great, but I have must have sat at the feet of like 10 different people <laughs> mm-hmm. asking advice, what did you do? How did you do it? Who do I call? you know, all those things, because I'm not a very spontaneous person. 
Mm-hmm. I like to plan things out. And the last thing I wanted was to leave my job and, and face plant, right? Right, right. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that this thing went well. But yeah, believe in your skill, believe in yourself, get advice and and listen to yourself. That inner compass that my mentor told me about, everyone has it. And I remember um, listening to a talk, a workshop given by uh, Bozema St. John. I think she's at Netflix now. But she said, people always make pros and cons lists, right? And she goes, mm-hmm. I don't make those lists. I don't make those lists. I don't believe in them because you already know what to do. And those mm-hmm. pros and cons lists are really just trying to talk you out of what you already know. So I just mm-hmm. write down what I know. Right. right? And, and I think she has a point. Yes, we make pros and cons lists because we want to sort of weigh both sides. But you already know what side you're leaning, on, you're leaning towards. So mm-hmm. why not lean fully into it? Right. Mm, um, yeah. So believe in yourself, get advice and, and, and listen to yourself. I love that. You, yeah. you spoke earlier about, you know, before you made the transition and you were dealing with burnout. Mm-hmm. So both from your personal experience and from your expertise, if there are women that are listening that are experiencing burnout right now, mm-hmm. um, what are some things that you recommend that they could do? If you can, because not everyone is in a position to do this. If you can take a step back from the thing that's causing you burnout and see if things change for you. That way you can figure out, okay, what can I do that's going to be different? Because I remember going into my doctor and she said to me, when I told her what was happening for me at work, she said, she looked at me dead in the eye and said, Roxanne, yeah, I can write you three weeks off from work, but when you go back, what's going to change? Right. Right. And so really, if you can take a step back, engage in things that bring you a little bit of balance. You know, people talk about work-life balance all the time. And I think it's a little bit of a myth because we can't always have complete balance. But there are things in life that are stressors and they will often be stressors for you, whether that's work or taking care of children or taking care of parents or whatever that is. But if you do not have other things in life that bring you joy, that bring you rest, that bring you peace, then the scales are going to tip mm-hmm. um, in the direction of the stress. And that is going to cause burnout. So I would say to the person who is going through some of this stuff, what are you doing that's tipping the scales in favor of you being more whole? What are you doing that's, that's, that's encouraging laughter? What are you doing that's encouraging connection? Are you getting rest? Are you having any fruit every once, <laughs> every mm-hmm. once in a while? <laughs> when was the last time you had a, a, a glass of water? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And not everyone has, again, I get it. Not everyone has the opportunity to step back and take a vacation and all that stuff. But can you get someone to watch the kids for a minute so you can go for a walk? Right. Can Mm -hmm. you sit at a park? I love um, watching your stories and and, and clips on IG because you go for walks in these beautiful parks. (laughs) See, that's what I'm talking about. Every day. Right. (laughs) If you feel like you're in a place where you're approaching burnout, see what you can do to tip the skills into a more uh, balanced place. It, it won't always be completely balanced, but try to be intentional about, about that balance. You can't, um, you can't take one day off a year and think that's going to be helpful, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, when you spoke to, you know, my, my IG stories where I share my walks, it was because of my experience with burnout where I mm-hmm. had to get very intentional with my self-care routine. Mm-hmm. And in my self-care routine, I make sure daily that I am doing my best to take care of mind, body, and soul. 
You know, yeah. sometimes we are only focused on the physical body or sometimes, you know, we're only focused on certain things, but my daily nature walks are part of my sanity routine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I do my best to implement the drinking water and getting sufficient sleep and meditating and all those things. But I think the top of my list is those walks for me because it, yeah. it helps in so many different ways, physically, mentally, emotionally. Totally, totally. There's a lot of research that speaks to the shift in terms of our nervous system that mm-hmm. happens when we're in nature. Yes. Right. I have a client who is riddled with anxiety. And after every, at the end of every session, I'm like, okay, now you need to go in the backyard and take off your shoes and walk in the grass. Grounded. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder back in like 2000 and I don't know if it was six, I think. Wow. And I, back then ignored it. I was like, Nope, I refuse to accept that diagnosis. I Mm. do not have that. But you know, as I got older and became more aware of myself and my body and someone bought me a Fitbit one year for my birthday and monitoring Mm. my, my heart rate daily. Oh, Mm -hmm. I can tell you when I'm anxious, (laughs) when I'm having anxiety attack, right? Yeah. (laughs) I can see it. So it's, it's essential um, for me to do the nature walks and grounding routines. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. And I think it's beautiful that you show people that it's okay and it's normal and 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 it's so um it's so soothing mm-hmm. right yeah so I, i'd love to know how do you stay motivated what's your self care routine look like oh gosh um <laughs> you know so i i try to get enough sleep it doesn't always happen <laughs> i try to I get, get it. enough sleep <laughs> i endeavor <laughs> to eat. <laughs> i'm being 100%. I endeavor to eat healthier. Like I I love my fruits. I drink my water. I love to laugh. Mm -hmm. And I I love to hang out with the kids. My kids are still young enough that they want to hang out with their mommy. (laughs) (laughs) And over the past few years, I've come to realize that I used to sort of play myself small in that, uh, you know, I have a couple of friends who would say things like, I'm not big for a celebration. I'm like more low key. And I'd be like, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I've, come to, I've come to realize that, no, I like a celebration. I want mm-hmm. a big, loud celebration. I want all the balloons and all the gifts. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I find that it, it, it brings me a lot of joy to share my accomplishments, not from a place of, of, of bragging, but oh my goodness, I actually did that. Yes. Or, um, you know, I'm also intentional more often these days, well, when COVID permits, but um, I'm more intentional about connecting with my friends because sometimes we get so busy doing the thing that we tend to block people out. Yes. And when I do that, that's not good for me. So I, I've been more intentional about connecting with the friends, whether it's in someone's backyard or we call each other and we go for a walk while we're on the phone or we go for brunch or, you know, something like that. But I connect with my people and it brings me, it brings me energy. I can be a little bit of an introvert and there are times when being alone energizes me. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are times when I, and I don't have a huge friend circle, but three or four of my girlfriends, we, 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 we stay tight and, and, and I need that. So when and where are you the happiest? Wow, that's a good one. <laughs> when and where am I? Ha ha. I guess that speaks to my introverted side. I am really happy when I am, I think the simple things, give me a bunch of flowers, give me a glass of rosé, 
a good series on Netflix or a really good podcast like yours. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, um, and a nice hot bubble bath. <laughs> you know, sometimes my partner's like, what can I get you for Mother's Day? I'm like, you take the kids to get out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Get me a snack and give me like two hours in the tub. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes mm-hmm. me happy. <laughs> I get it. I get it completely. I mean, okay. So you've spoken a lot about your children. I would yes. love to know how has motherhood changed you? Wow. Wow, that's a good question, Nikini. How has motherhood changed me? I think motherhood has brought out in me, you know, like for many mothers, the you know that that kind of mama bear. Yeah. Right. Like, don't come for my kids. I will. Yeah. I will come at you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Uh. So you know, I've always been a bit of an advocate. That's kind of the social worker in me, but that has come out more in parenting. Mm-hmm. Um. I think motherhood has really taught me about myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It has taught me the limits of my patience. It has taught me, and I think coupled with the work that I do, right? It has taught me when I need to walk away and just count to 10. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it has, it has probably made me a little bit more patient in that sometimes I will say to myself, okay, Roxanne, if your nine-year-old had said this or done that, you would have extended him a little bit more grace. So you need to extend more grace in this situation. Right. Right. And I think it has made me more determined. I think that's it. I've always been a bit of an ambitious girl because growing up in Jamaica, my mom would always say education is a thing that you need because we don't have anybody to give us anything. We don't have any rich uncle to leave anything Mm -hmm. for us. Right. And so now that I'm here, I see other people whose, whose families have been here for generations and they have a bit of a road that's kind of paved for them mm-hmm. and they kind of just need to walk in it now. Right. right. And I think for me, it, I feel like one of the reasons that I'm, that, that I push, one of the reasons that I, I go after the thing is because I'm, I'm legacy building now. Yes. Right. I see other little children who they they're, they they kind of have it made because the great grandparents established this thing right and the the grandparents work the business and their parents are walking walking it through and they've got certain things already laid out for them and i feel like i feel like we are building mm-hmm. and so that's a part of a driver for me i am laying a foundation for these children because they are brown skinned children in a world that doesn't always celebrate brown skin children. Right. And so my goal is to make their lives a little bit easier. And I have to also, as I'm saying this, I'm also kind of just mentally talking to myself, like I can't fix everything with my hustle, right? Mm-hmm. My hustle isn't going to re- take away um, systemic oppression. It's not going to take away racism and some of these systems that work against them, but I can try to make things a little bit easier for them. So I think that's me and kind of motherhood. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they could stay connected with you online. Yes, for sure. So you can always go to my website at francispsychotherapy.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Francis Psychotherapy. I'm on Twitter at Francis Therapy. And uh, yeah, that's kind of me online. You can Google me. Um, I Googled myself the other day and I was surprised that I moved <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so I will I will definitely have all of your links to your website and your socials in the detailed section of the episode so they don't have Thank to search you. too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. Thank you. You're welcome. So for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom, kind of like a rapid fire. And I ask a couple of reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind, whether that be one word, one sentence. Sometimes I ask you to unpack because I don't like rules. But, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Fight the fear. Um, I think is what it would say, because I think that fear immobilizes us. It keeps us from the thing that we really want. It keeps us from our destiny. Mm-hmm. And we just, we, we stay locked in, right? And yeah. there's so much that awaits us on the other side of that fear. I love it. Yeah. What is one thing people often get wrong about you? The first, the first thing that comes to mind is that I'm shy. I do have a bit, a bit of an introvert introverted streak mm-hmm. but as you can probably tell I like to talk <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I like as I said before I like a I like a good you know connection celebration you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and don't come after my children because I will cut you <laughs> <laughs> I love it <laughs> okay What's a new belief, behavior, or habit that has improved your life in the last five years? Not playing small anymore. Mm. You know, um, I used to, I, I, I used to really just, maybe that's why people think I'm shy. I used to just hide in the corner. I used to just, I didn't want people to really notice me too much. And I stepped into entrepreneurship. I began to realize, thanks to my beautiful coach, that um, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you want yeah. people to interact with your business they need to know about your business that means you need to open your mouth that means you need to say hey this is what's going on and so I've I've, you know one of my best friends said to me girl you really stepped out of your shell in the past few years and she would be right (laughs) Mm, love it love it okay name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life we should all be millionaires Mm. um by By Rachel Rachel Rogers Rogers. yes yeah yeah I read it yep Yes. <laughs> what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. I have become better at saying no to things that I just don't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when you're younger, you kind of want to make everybody happy. And as you get older, you realize that the person that you really need to make happy is yourself. Yes. And so, <laughs> so if that means I need to say no to the Thanksgiving dinner that I really don't want to go to. If that means I need to say no to um, gathering with people that I don't want to gather with, um, if it means that I need to say no to doing dinner with that person or just wanting time to myself. Yeah, I think as much as I love connecting with people and the celebration piece, I've been saying no to to being around the noise when I need quiet. Mm. Um, I think particularly in doing the work that I do, sometimes I am with clients all day. Sometimes I'm in meetings all day and then my kids come home from school and they want me. And, and, you know, so sometimes my phone rings and I'm like, why are you ringing? I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Sometimes I just let it go to voicemail and the kids go to bed and 
mama just wants quiet. <laughs> I, just I love want a it. cup of tea. And, you know, I might curl up in the couch with a blanket or whatever, or a book. And sometimes I just need that. Sometimes I need that on a Saturday afternoon. Sometimes I need it on a Friday night. And it's no to let's go out for dinner. Um, mm-hmm. I've been learning to, to, to say no so to other people so I can say yes to me. Yes. I love, I love, 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 love that on so many different reasons. Like mm-hmm. people feel like when you set boundaries that you're trying to shut other people out or it's about saying no to other people, but no, it's about saying yes to you. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Honestly, thank you so much, Roxanne, for sharing your story, sharing your gems, your wisdom. See, I told you there was lots of wisdom in there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well, it takes a skilled interviewer to bring it up, right? And see, the introvert in me normally like shies away from conversations. So the fact that I've been doing this for three years, Uh, I feel like I've gained some confidence in it through, um, you know, continuing to do it. But what I love is just the one-on-one conversations. And I feel like it's a added bonus that the world gets to listen in. Oh, yes. You were were really good. You're really good at this. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Truly, truly appreciate that. And um, to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast. And I want to thank each and every single one of you that tune in every week to listen. Because thanks to you guys, the show globally ranks in the top 1.5% of most popular podcasts in the world. And that is out of over 2.5 million podcasts. So thank you to every single one of you. And if you could think of one person that would resonate with Roxanne's story, or if there were some gems in there that you feel that you have some friends need to hear, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode. You can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Roxanne at Francis Psychotherapy, and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.